Hey guys, welcome back to the Cedar in Cypress podcast. I'm Liv. And I'm Allison. We are so excited to be here again. Thank you for joining us and for tuning in. If you didn't get a chance to listen to our last couple of episodes, we would highly encourage that you do. Um, We kind of were able to just lay a a good foundation of who we believe God to be. Um, And then we are currently in part two of our three-part series right now. Um, So our last episode was on the poison of purity culture. Um, Tonight, we're going to be talking about sexual liberalism versus biblical truth and how um, that ideology kind of holds up against scripture. So um, before we do get into that, as usual, uh, Allison, what was the best part of your week? So the best part of my week was Saturday morning. Uh, My husband and I had family friends over. We like to occasionally do breakfast slash brunch. So we had them over and we made a bunch of different breakfast foods. I love breakfast food. It's my favorite yes, meal. Same. We had buttermilk pancakes and bacon. And I made scrambled eggs with my favorite like spinach and red onion garnish. And we had a fruit salad. So yeah, it was an awesome, awesome morning. That sounds so good. Honestly, I feel like... Um, making brunch or breakfast at home is actually better than going out and getting it a lot of times. It's fun to go out and the experience of going out to eat is always fun, but I don't know. I just feel like there's something different, something so nice and cozy about just like being at home in your comfy clothes and just making breakfast at home and kind of like hanging out. For me, the best part is that you get to control how the food's made and what it's made with. I went to a diner a couple months ago with a friend and I ordered an omelet. I was super excited about, and it came on my plate and it was like really watery, No, <laughs> but oh my I gosh, hate, I hate no. saying anything. <laughs> I don't like to send stuff back. So I just kind of like ate it and decided oh, no. I won't go to that particular diner again. Yeah. Honestly though. Oh my gosh. You know, watery eggs is like the worst thing mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> it's just oh, yeah. I feel like a lot of people would agree with me on this, but eggs in general, like so good. Right. And they're good for you. But like, when you really think about what eggs are, like it gets gross really fast. So I feel like a lot of people are like, like I've seen, have you ever seen those memes where people are like me trying to eat the eggs before I remember like (laughs) that they're gross or something like before my brain comprehends how gross they are. Yeah. It's a pretty terrible concept. It is. And I love eggs, but I'm just saying, Yeah. What was the best part of your week on that note? Um, Yeah. Moving on to something else, please. Um, Yeah. The best part of my week, uh, my husband and I got to go on this um, like cabin trip with a couple of our um, other, our like other married friends. I feel so old saying that Um, (laughs) with a couple of their couples that we know. So um, yeah, it was super fun. It was something that like we've been planning for months. So it was something we were really looking forward to. It went by way too fast as all weekend trips do, but it was just really fun. Um, we got to hang out and we did kind of like a cookout and we also made like a really nice breakfast on Saturday morning and just hung out. We went hiking. Um, we played body body. Have you ever played that? I've heard of it, but I've never played it. (laughs) Okay. It was so fun. It's basically like one person is a killer. So one person's like it and, um, they kind of go around and like kind of almost tag you. And if you get like tagged, you're 
technically killed. Um, and then you kind of have to collapse, uh, but not dramatically. You like do it as quietly as possible. And then when they f- like, when the other people playing who are not the killer find you, they yell like body, body. And then everyone has to kind of convene. And it's like a little conference. You try to figure out who was the killer. Um, so it's super fun, but we were like in a cabin in this secluded area and all the lights are off when you play it. So it was like super fun, but also my worst nightmare lived out at the exact same time. Yeah, that's terrifying. Um, yeah, because you're just walking around in the dark and you just see like figures out of the corner of your eye because there's so many people. And it's like, you know, there are other people there, but for some reason it still scares you. Like you just see like a figure standing there. So um, yeah, it was thrilling. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'll have to pass on that now that I like fully know what it is too. I get scared easily. It's so, so fun. Now. You just have yeah. to like do something happy afterwards, but right. um, yeah. So anyways, moving on into our topic for today. Um, like I said, we're really excited to talk about this. We're going to be talking about uh, sexual liberalism today. Um, so this is something that we definitely want to be careful handling um, as a topic. We want to make sure that we do this in the most um, compassionate, but also truth-filled way possible. So we're definitely going to try and hold to that as much as we can um, by the grace of God, of course. So um, before we do get into anything, I did just want to provide a disclaimer once again. Um, just like our last episode, this is definitely more of an adult geared topic. So if there are children around, um, or children within earshot, um, you may want to wait to listen to this until a later time when they're, um, not in earshot where they can't hear the episode, um, just because we are going to be discussing quite a few, um, adult topics. And just like we did last week with purity culture, we think it's really important before we get started into our content to go over definition, make sure we're on the same page, make sure we're talking about the same thing. Maybe doesn't necessarily need to be said, but I think it bears repeating that when we're on the same page with our definitions, that's when we can really clearly communicate with each other. Mm -hmm. So really how we define sexual liberalism is that it is a gender and sex ideology that claims that your autonomy, your authenticity, and your happiness are first priority. It really values individual expression and personal freedom above all else. And it's tied to some of the recent cultural trends we're seeing and kind of a result of postmodern thought that began arising after World War II in the 1940s. Um, The history of modernity and postmodern thought is fascinating. It's something that we would love to get into in a later episode. That's not necessarily something we'll go over right now. But just so that we have a working definition, I think that sexualism, liberalism also reveal itself more as we start kind of wading through the the lies that it tells. Um, But that's just kind of an easy definition for us to get started with. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we're just going to jump straight into the first lie from sexual liberalism, which is kind of come straight out of the definition. And it's that God wants me to be happy and I should do whatever I want with my body. This one I think is especially insidious because I think it tries to take one part of God, one facet of God, which is his love and tries to make it the only part about God, right? Mm -hmm. Like that is his holiness or his wrath against sin doesn't exist. And it kind of makes God into a one-dimensional like genie, like we talked about in our very first episode. Mm-hmm. But the truth is that if you are in Christ, that you are required to submit to and be subject to the laws that God very lovingly and clearly communicates to us in the Bible. 
First um, Corinthians six nineteen through twenty says, "Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body." And sexual liberalism prioritizes you above all things, whereas a true Christ follower wants to please God first with everything, including their body. And you also know from a different passage in 1 Corinthians, a little bit earlier in that same chapter, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we shouldn't be deceived by any type of ideologies like this, that there's kind of some way to do gymnastics around God or try to logic our way out of things and try to excuse our sin because we just know that when we try to do that, we're prioritizing ourselves and our happiness over pleasing God and pleasing God ultimately leads to joy in our lives. So we're really kind of cheating ourselves ultimately. Mm-hmm. Are there any thoughts you had on that, Liv? So many. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> I won't share all of them because we'd be here for like two days, but, um, yeah, this is definitely one of those lies that traps, like so many people, um, that God just wants you to be happy that, um, you should just kind of be able to live your life and do whatever you want. Um, but really when we're doing that, when we're believing that we are putting God in a box, um, like, what we were talking about in our first episode. Um, you're putting it God in the box of your own desires, your own passions, um, the things that, well, really just your own selfishness. The thing is, is that God wants the best for you. However, the best for you is not always your human desire to be happy. Um, a lot of things in this life that make us happy ultimately lead to our destruction. Yeah. So there's a verse in James chapter one, starting in verse 12 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God for God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured, lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So there are a lot of things in this life that we can look at as human beings and say, well, this will make me happy. So I should be able to do this because God just wants me to be happy, right? But ultimately, many of those things are sins and they will lead to our destruction, which eventually will lead to eternal death, which is a really scary thought. um, And we don't want to ignore that fact. But it really is true that a lot of times when God wants the best for us, that's not always something that's going to make us happy in the moment. Um, Kind of reminds me of like when your parents tell you, no, don't touch that hot stove kind of thing. But you're like, ooh, but it's bright. And it's like got a a red light and I want to touch it. It looks cool because you think like as a kid, like, yeah, this will make me happy. I must touch this light. And your parents are like, absolutely not. You shouldn't. And then you do it anyway and it burns you. So it's kind of the same thing. Things that we think will make us happy in the long run might lead to our destruction. And God ultimately wants the best for us, which is him. Um, And what he desires for us, not what we desire for ourselves. Yeah. And even in that verse from the first chapter of James, uh, the verse 15, desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it fully grow is fully grown brings forth death. It's very an interesting, a fascinating, but also kind of terrifying picture mm-hmm. about sin that it, it begets more sin 
it kind of yeah. snowballs and it doesn't mean that you can't ever break free from that hold. Cause that's what Jesus is all about is breaking you from those chains. But then when you start going down that road, when you kind of start the snowball effect, it is really hard to rein in mm-hmm. and it's not really worth the amount of time and grief and pain you will experience when you start going down that road. You can always come back. Absolutely. You can always come back, but you're just going to waste a lot of your time and spend a lot of your effort pursuing something that is not going to bring ultimate joy. Right. Mm-hmm. And the truth is also that when sexual liberalism is trying to say that God just wants you to be happy, that you should just pursue what makes you happy. The truth is that God, like this verse says, God would never tempt or approve of something that is sinful. Mm-hmm. Like even if yeah. it might bring you temporary pleasure or temporary happiness, you might say to yourself, well, I'm happy when I do it. Like I enjoy it and it makes me feel great. No matter what it may be, you might think like, how could God frown upon that? Right. But this verse is telling us that, you know, our emotions deceive us, that God wouldn't tempt us into something that is sinful. So if we know in the Bible that there's a particular thing that is sinful, even if we enjoy it for such a short time, it can't be right. Mm hmm. There's even a verse in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse nine, that says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately Mm. sick who can understand it. So your emotions might even be lying to you, which can be a little bit scary, but that's when you can go to the truth of God's word and combat that. You don't have to be afraid, you know, almost of deceiving yourself because God will be happy to present the truth to you. Because sexual liberalism tries to tell you that your biggest problem is that you're not happy and you don't love yourself enough. You don't please yourself enough. And that's really not a biblical idea at all. There's nowhere in the Bible that tells you as much as you might try to find it, that your problem is that you don't please yourself enough and you don't seek your own welfare enough. The Bible tells us to seek the welfare of others. And on the contrary, we love ourselves too much. The problem is that we care about ourselves too much and we're too concerned with what makes us happy. And that being sexually promiscuous or breaking God's law, first of all, transgresses his design. But then second of all, like I mentioned a little earlier, it robs us of the good and the gracious gifts that are from him. Mm -hmm. Like we talked about last week, purity culture leads us into the pride and legalism side of the things. But then sexual liberalism is just completely devoid of any biblical principles. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we are going to go a little bit more into that um, with our last lie that we're going to discuss today um, about loving ourselves and that being a top priority, um, just the mindset of self-love as a whole. So we'll get into that in a lot more detail in a minute here, but kind of moving on from that into the second lie of sexual liberalism, um, which says I can have sex without consequences. Ooh, this is a hard one for sure, because so many people believe this. It is so promoted, uh, sexual liberalism culture that you should just be able to do whatever you want which then kind of leads into sexual promiscuity where it's like you should be able to sleep with whoever you want. Yeah. You should be able to sleep with someone for one time and never see them again. Or you should be able to be in a relationship with someone and sleeping with them is just part of that. Um, It kind of goes on a whole spectrum of that. And it kind of just denies that there are any consequences there that, um, you know, there might be things here and there where someone gets their feelings hurt, but that's not really that big a deal. Like they'll get over it, but there's so much more to that. When we look at God's design for sex in the first place. 
So even if nothing happens, you know, regarding physical things such as, um, you know, pregnancy or sexually transmitted diseases, um, sex is more than a physical act. God created sex to join together two people in an intimate bond. So whether you cut all physical ties to someone or not, you'll have a romantic bond with them regardless, because that's how God created sex to be. He created it to be this intimacy between two people. That's not just broken by, okay, bye, see you never. (laughs) So this is meant to be maintained in a marriage. Um, It was never meant to be shared with more than one person. It's something that is cultivated um, over, honestly, the period of our lives, like the the entire period of our lives, um, where this is just grown. And it's such a beautiful thing when it really is, um, you know, tended to within a marriage and when it's something that um, two people share with one another alone. First uh, Corinthians 7, 4 says the wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his body, but yields it to his wife. Um, so according to scripture, we don't even have authority over our own bodies. Like our, once you're joined together with another person, like you belong to them as they belong to you. So when you kind of hear that, that, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess metaphor of like someone kind of taking a piece of you, like not that you're not necessarily not whole anymore or that God can't redeem that. Cause of course he can. Um, the message of the entire gospel is redemption. Um, however, that person really does, you know, leave with a part of you and you leave with part of them as well, just in that. So it really does have more consequences than just the physical. Exactly. And the person that restores you to wholeness after any type of sin, whether it's sexual or something else, is Jesus alone, right? There's nothing else you're going to find that you could restore that wholeness on your own, which a lot of people might think is like sleeping with more people or whatever it may be that you think resolves that problem for you. It's not going to do it. And like you mentioned a little bit earlier, sex can result in and does result in often physical changes, right? Sexual relations naturally results in beautifully and by the grace of God, sex results in children. Mm -hmm. Sexual liberalism would like to sell you the lie that you can end your pregnancy. You can just move on. And this is not something, this is something that I don't think we could talk about quick, like just in a couple minutes. Yeah. Thankfully. So that's why I'm, I don't want to get deeply into this topic right now, but I just want to mention that abortion is a huge part of sexual liberalism. They're, they cannot be divorced from each other mm-hmm. and that, you know, biblical principles and scientific research reveals to us the unique nature, the personhood of the unborn child. And we know mm-hmm. from the Bible that God knits us together and that he intends for us to be on this earth and that nobody else deserves to be on earth more than somebody else, right? Regardless of whether they're in or outside of the womb. And we have even studies that tell us that women experience PTSD symptoms after their abortion procedures. Mm-hmm. So this is something we could spend a lot more time on, but I just want to mention the reason why the abortion debate is so, so divisive and consequential is because sex itself has consequences, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you if if you simultaneously say that the abortion the abortion debate is important, but that sex also has no consequences, it's kind of you're just negating your own argument. And so when we talk about sex and what it's created for is physical intimacy, but also 
as God is amazing and intelligent, he also made it really practical that it results in children. It's not just for pleasure, but that it results in creating more people and what was originally the purpose of mankind from Genesis, which is um, God wanting to partner with humans to make the earth flourish. And we know that's you know not where the earth is right now, but having children is a big part of partnering with God and the original reason humans were created to procreate mm-hmm. and to take care of the world. And I do just want to say, we know that this is an extremely complex issue. Yes. Um, just quick trigger warning here. Um, we know that sometimes abortions take place because of sexual trauma and abuse and rape and things like that. And yeah. that breaks God's heart as well. Um, these are all, you know, terrible things. And we know that it really is such a complex issue. So we're not going to negate that. We're not going to pretend that that's not part of it. But ultimately, it really does kind of all stem back to this mindset of sexual liberalism, that I should be able to do whatever I want, that I should be able to have sex with whoever I want to. Um, And really, at the end of the day, that truly just comes down to like sinful evil, really. Because if you think about it, that can hurt so many people um, in more ways than, you know, just sleeping around like that. It, it on the extreme end can get into people believing that others don't have the right to say no. Um, they shouldn't have the right because I should be able to do whatever I want. And of course there's more to that than just sexual liberalism. You know, again, we're not going to pretend that that is not also a very complex issue, but it kind of is at the core of that, you know, just this ideology that I should be able to do whatever I want with my body, that I should be able to sleep with whoever I want. Um, you know, and of course that's distorted and twisted even more so when it gets to that extreme, but it really does kind of come back to that as well. Yeah. And it also, it's important to, to know on top of what you've already said, Liv, that we should have the utmost compassion for any woman that has been raped or mm-hmm. assaulted and that resulted in child because that is just absolutely traumatic. That is 100%. not yeah. something that should be handled at all with um, flippancy. Mm-hmm. It needs to be handled with care. It is extremely important. And when we talk about transgressions upon God's law, it's really important that we know what God's law is in the first place, what his design is in the first place, because any form of transgressing against his law or his design is just considered considered sinful in his eyes, right? So I think it's important. This kind of leads us into our third lie from sexual liberalism as well, that any form of physical union or pleasure between two people or even multiple people at once can be considered marriage and should be recognized as such. So if you are to say that one man and one woman is the design that God created and is true marriage, you're going to be called hateful. You're going to be called blank phobic, whatever it may possibly be put there first. That's the way the culture views that. Mm -hmm. The truth is that we can do mental gymnastics all we want to try to get around it. But the truth is that God made marriage for one man and one woman. And he said it plainly. So in Genesis 1, verse 26, he says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And that goes back to what I was saying earlier about how humans were made to help the the world flourish and to take care of it. And the next verse says, God created man in his own image in the image of God who created them male and female. He created them. There's not 
really a good way to get around that, that I've heard so far. I've heard a lot (laughs) of people try to skirt around it, but I, I don't find any convincing argument that would go against the entire narrative of the Bible. It's not just Mm. this one verse, right? This, this should be enough, right? One verse of God telling us something should be enough, but he's gracious enough to reiterate it over and over and over again in scripture very clearly many different Mm -hmm. times. This is not the only one verse that you could find this concept. Yeah. And we know that, um, this is a very complex issue, just like anything else. Um, you know, that we are talking about people with very real desires. Um, you know, so we're not supporting the view here that, um, this is just a choice, um, that people could change it if they, if they wanted to, we know that these are real desires and real struggles of people, um, that truly do need to be, um, walked alongside um, on a case-by-case basis with things like this, for sure. And also to what you said, Liv, this also doesn't negate the fact that the evangelical church has handled LGBT issues really poorly and really irresponsibly. Yeah. But we can still speak the truth in love, but also depart from the way that the evangelical church has ostracized and hurt and pushed out people that struggle truly and really want to know God and want to understand that they're they're loved in favor of a really condemning message that we talked about last week with purity culture, right? Mm-hmm. So for anyone who's listening, we just want to clarify that God's truth may be convicting, but it's not meant to be hurtful. It's not meant to be weaponized against you, which is what has been happening for a very long time. And there's a really big difference between the convicting word of the Lord and the condemning word of Christians that are communicating it poorly. So we just want to make sure that that is said, that's really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. I think as believers and as Christians, um, we've done a very poor job of understanding whose job condemnation is supposed to be. We are human beings. None of us are better than anybody else. No one's sin is worse than somebody else's. You know, we all struggle with different things. We all sin. (laughs) We're all fall short of the glory of God. So um, in that way, I think we, we tend to take condemnation into our own hands when truly that really is just the Lord's that is God's. That is not our job, you know, as human beings who are not higher than anybody else. Cause really doing that is just a very prideful way to look at somebody else. It's, it's just comparing their sin to your own and saying you're worse than me, which is just not true. You know, once again, we all fall short of God's glory. We all fall short of grace. Right. And then when we're busy just condemning other people and judging other people, we take our eyes off what is really good. God said just a few verses later in verse 31 of chapter one, that it was good. He saw everything he made and it was very good. He was pleased with it. And so when we really focus more on how he reinforces this in the biblical narrative, we see the beauty unfold instead of the condemnation to put on each other. Right. Um, Going into line number four from sexual liberalism. Um, which says success is measured by how I present myself in such a way that others lust after me. So in other words, just kind of in short, if you've got it, flaunt it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) This is something you hear all the time. I know I have anyway. Um, So 
if you consider social media, for example, because it's definitely a huge thing online. Yeah. Um, if you consider social media trends and how often we see both men and women, honestly, this is not just for the ladies, this is for the men as well. Um, both men and women flaunt their bodies to get more approval and growth from their audience. So um, we see this all the time where women will post pictures or men will post pictures, uh, those shirtless gym selfies, you know, those promiscuous poses at the beach, (laughs) if you will, Um, you know, all of those things. And again, like, you know, we're not saying we've never been guilty of this um, or been guilty of the same desire of others, you know, uh, of the desire for others to want us. But this is definitely a lie of sexual liberalism that this is a good thing, you know, that you should um, flaunt it if you've got it, you should put it all out there and um, the approval that you get from that. Right. So we tend to think that this leads to success, that this leads to happiness, um, that this is the key to success in this life. Um, and we see this in person as well. It doesn't just have to be a social media um, presence or what we post on social media. This can certainly be done in person um, when we go out with friends or we go on dates. Um, a lot of times we'll dress in such a way that we know will get us the most attention and have all eyes on us. Um, I think it's just a human desire that we want to feel important. We want to feel desired. We want to feel wanted. And we want to, um, especially as women, feel beautiful. Um, I know I've definitely been guilty of this in the past, um, you know, kind of going just out with friends or just to, um, you know, go get dinner, you know, or something like on the town um, and kind of dressing in such a way where I'm like, yeah, I want people to notice me. Like I want people to, to look at me, um, or to think that I look good or, you know, um, what have you, but ultimately this truly just takes our eyes off of God. This takes our eyes and it puts it on ourselves. And that might seem kind of like a, well, yeah, no duh, but truly success in this life, especially as Christians is loving God and pursuing his ways, keeping our eyes transfixed on him, um, and what he has for us. So truly this, this level of success that's measured by the world is just a worldly desire. Um, and it ultimately leads to nothing at the end. So we kind of talked a little bit in our last episode about how we are called to modesty and holiness as believers. Um, You know, this kind of goes both ways in both extremes that we talked about in purity culture and in sexual liberalism. Um, This truth stands the same. (laughs) We are still called to modesty. We're still called to holiness as believers. And we definitely go more in depth uh, into that in our last episode. If you want to take a listen to that, if you haven't already. But Matthew 6, 24 says that no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Um, So we can't serve ourselves and God. We can't serve um, approval from the world and God um, at the same time. So we also, one thing that I did want to touch on just in this in general is that the things that we desire from the world and that we think that we can get by this whole, if you've got it, flaunt it mindset, um, you know, that acceptance, that desire um, from other people, that importance, um, truly, we do receive that from our Heavenly Father. In Christ, we are loved, we are valued, we're given meaning, we are cherished. We are so much more than just our bodies in Christ. And that's something that's so important to point out, um, just because it's something 
that goes so much deeper than what the world has to offer in this. Um, you know, the world has fleeting pleasure to offer. It has um, fleeting approval and acceptance. Um, but truly in Christ, we are eternally loved. Um, we are valued um, because of the purpose that God has given us through his son. We're given meaning. Um, so it's just, it's so much more than what what the world has to offer at the end of the day. I like that you distinguish between the love that the world gives and then our heavenly father's love, because one is completely conditional on if you behave right, Mm -hmm. you act right, you say the right things. Then God's love is knows no bounds, has no bounds. It's unfettered by anything, anything you could do. Right. And I think it's really important to mention that because when we talk about what success is, we really have to kind of redefine it because, you know, you said like success is measured by how I present myself. Right. And from the worldly definition of success, I I would say it's like true, right? Like some people that are extremely attractive will post pictures online. They can make like a living off of it, like with Mm -hmm. brand deals. And like, we don't want to negate the fact that that is something that happens. Right. But that that's just earthly wealth. That's worldly accolade. And it's not going to last that, you know, the Bible tells us that our earthly treasures, they'll be destroyed you know, moth and rust destroy these break in and steal, but the treasures that we seek from God last forever. We're going to enjoy mm-hmm. presence with him forever. There are people that are really going to suffer from this type of message because they might be, they might struggle with their body image even, right? Yeah. Like it's very harmful to people that might struggle with their body image and with self-esteem to just hear like success is just how you look. Cause we know that there are certain people that they have certain privileges because of how they look. Like that's just a fact we see it in society. Some people just are more successful and according to the world standards. And that's the truth. And that's just what happens. But it's important again, to distinguish like, what are, what are the treasures and the rewards that matter? Yeah. Um, there's a verse I wanted to read on that, which we're kind of basing all of these thoughts on, which is Matthew 6, 19 through 21, which says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Um, so kind of in, in reading this, um, I know for me, it's just a good reminder that yes, the treasures of this earth, um, might look shiny and new while we're here, but they don't last, but also where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Um, so it kind of goes along with the verse that I just read a little bit earlier about how you can't serve two masters. Um, in the same way, if your treasure is on this earth, that's where your heart is. That's where your heart lies. That's what you seek. That's what you love. Um, Whereas if your treasure is truly stored up in heaven, if you are um, seeking to honor Christ, if you are seeking to treasure him above all else, that is where your heart lies. Um, Your heart lies with him. It lies in um, loving what he loves and having your heart break over what breaks his. Um, And that's so much more important than um, the things of this life, the things of this world. And when you're more focused on pleasing God and storing up treasures in heaven, it really frees you up to love other people well, because mm-hmm. you're not as focused on chasing those accolades and, and chasing that fame or recognition. You know, maybe not all of us are out here trying to get famous, but even just trying to please the community we have around us or the people that follow us online, 
when you're less focused on that, you're just so freed up emotionally, mentally to truly care about people, not because of what they can give you or how they can benefit you, but just, just to love them for who they are. Right. Flaws and all. And that really takes us like straight into our next lie, which is that it's more loving for me to accept someone else's lifestyle or the way they may choose to live out sex or gender than it is to hold to the biblical godly ethic of sex. And this one, this one is so hard because we have people in our lives that are making choices that we don't agree with, but we love them so much and we want the best for them. And so we kind of go down this road of, okay, I'm just going to be okay with it. Right. I'm going to support it because I support them and I love them. But the truth is that, you know, sexual liberalism tries to, again, sell you the lie that you can't love someone if you don't support their choices. Yeah. And this could pertain to more than sexual liberalism. It could really pertain to anything. Because if we follow this logic, it really falls apart. It almost negates itself. When we follow this mindset, we are going to allow many destructive things in people's lives that are not okay. I have seen people in my life that are, you know, addicted to substances or they have issues that really destroy them physically, but also mentally and emotionally. And maybe while living a lifestyle that is unpleasing to God in regards to sex may not physically destroy you, there are mental, psychological, emotional damages that are going to be there for a long, long time and God can heal them. But, you know, again, like why waste your time going through it when you're going to have to really push through that on the other side? It's so important to mention here because this idea is so prominent within progressive Christianity and liberal culture as a whole when it pertains to gender, to sex, all those types of things, because you want to support the people you love. And it just seems so much easier to just say, okay, like, okay, I'm just gonna, it's, it's all right with me. When we compromise that, the one, any one part of what God's designed, we have to compromise everything else after like if you compromise on the fact that a man and a woman should be the only members of a marriage right one man one woman if you compromise on that then you're going to compromise on like family and parenthood because you can't have one without the other right right and then you're going to compromise on the design that god created for our families and for children and their upbringing and you know what they have and need from their parents so it's like this domino effect when we bend to one thing, we bend to everything. And so it's it's ultimately not more loving to accept that. It's more loving to be truthful in that instance. Yeah, I think it, it kind of does go back to just anytime that you see something or somebody doing something that is harmful for them. Um, in that moment, supporting their choices is not loving to them because you're not pointing them in the right direction that you know is ultimately going to lead to life. You're pointing them in the opposite direction if you're supporting that, which is a really, really hard thing (laughs) for sure. But here's the thing about this one. If you know that someone is walking in sin or walking the wrong direction and you have the answer, you have the answer to true freedom and you don't give that to them, then how much do you really love them? Like, how much do you really care about them? And this is something that truly can be delivered, you know, in love, in compassion. Because again, this is something that should break our hearts as it breaks God's. 
you know, I've seen, and I've had conversations with people before that I knew were walking in sin. Um, and you know, I didn't sit there and yell at them or, you know, (laughs) say you're doing this wrong. Like, shame on you. Like, what are you doing? That's not what you're supposed to, you know, do. That's not how you're supposed to live your life. Like, no, by new means, you know, but you can sit down with someone, have an honest conversation with them and say, listen, I love you deeply. I care about you. And I want you to experience true freedom in the Lord. I want you to experience, you know, redemption. I want you to experience faith and I want you to know him and love him and be able to, you know, enjoy him forever. So because of that, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth and it's, it might hurt, you know, it might be painful to hear from me. It might be hard to listen to, um, but I'm going to tell you the truth because I have the answer to this and I'm not going to let you walk in a direction that ultimately is going to lead you off a cliff when I have, you know, the pathway up the rest of the mountain, (laughs) you know what I mean? Um, Um, And I'm not saying that necessarily anyone who, you know, comes to the Lord, who repents and believes um, will necessarily lose those desires or, you know, sinful temptations or anything like that. We all struggle with those things. Um, Even as Christians, like we still struggle with sinful temptation, Um, but truly that freedom is found in Christ um, because we were made to know him. We were made to enjoy him. Uh, and live for him, you know, as we walk through this life. So true freedom truly is found in him. It's not found in the pleasures of the world. Yeah. You'd really have to hate someone to like, just let them keep walking off the cliff, like to not warn them, right? to not tell them. And you might not think that you're acting in hatred towards them, but it's, it's kind of an underlying insidious nature of sexual liberalism that it is more loving to not tell them that they're walking into something because again, you know, it makes them happy. Right. And we already talked right. about like that. That's so fleeting. It's interesting too, that you mentioned that we all struggle because it's, it's so unrealistic. And I think harmful here's again, I think where we can kind of pinpoint some of the flaws that the, the church has had in handling issues like this is that it's super unrealistic and harmful to tell people or to act like your sinful desires are just going to magically go away. Right. Like yeah. When you're saved, right. That it's not going to be still an uphill struggle, but th- that the difference now is that your struggle is not your own. Like you're being carried by Christ. Like he's right. the one that bore that struggle and died for that. Right? right. And the hope is that the hope that is true as, as Christians, that he gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires and he Absolutely. doesn't guarantee it'll be easy. But what he does give you is a love for his law, a love for his design, so much so that you want to keep studying it and keep pursuing it. And so you don't have to walk that alone. And again, this is where we have to redefine love. Like God is love, right? First John 4, 8 says anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. You don't know him if you don't treat others with love. Like how convicting is that, that it's so important for us as Christians to communicate the truth with love and with care and with genuine compassion. And that's where we have to use our emotional intelligence, right? Like, is this relationship strong enough to the point that that person trusts you and knows that you have the best for them in mind? So that so much so that you could say something or speak into their life. Like, it's not helpful to just walk up to any person on the street and to just say, you're doing this wrong in your life. Don't do this. Right. right. It's important to feel out those relationships, know where we stand with that person and do our best to talk. And if they don't receive it, that's okay. 
But if you know you've done everything that you can and that person deep down knows that you have the be- their best interest in mind, then that's all we can do as Christians is to do our best and let God really do the work because we don't have the power. Thank God that we do not have the power to change others, that he right. does that work. He might use you. That's the most fascinating part of it all. You get to be part of what God's doing in that person's life. Yeah. I think the thing is, is that you don't want to compromise truth for love, but you don't want to compromise love for truth either. Yes. yes. Um, You know, like there's a really difficult balance there where um, you want to make sure that you're speaking the truth in love, but you don't want to compromise on either, you know, and scripture doesn't call us to, you know, the Bible literally says in Ephesians to speak the truth in love. Um, So we definitely want to do both. Like we want to uphold truth because we don't want to compromise on that to, um, you know, love someone by the world standards. Um, but we also don't want to do the opposite and just speak the truth, but have no love in it, no compassion in it. Um, so that we're just telling someone why they're wrong. Right. Like if it brings Um, you joy or pleasure to like point out someone else's flaws, there's, there's a problem with you. Yeah. That's that's something something that you you get a kick out of. Like, that's not what God called us to. He called us to care about each other and caring about each other is telling them when they're walking down a harmful path. But right. there's nowhere in the Bible that will tell you that that should be like an enjoyable experience for you. It might be a really hard one. You might even lose a relationship. Like it's going to be painful, but the joy is when if, if you get to see that person turn around and come to the Lord and mm, yeah. understand that God has so much better for them. That's like the greatest part. Like I had a friend in high school who was going down a really bad path, not with sexual sin, but with something else. And I kind of just told her like this, this kind of road is going to destroy you. Like, do you want to keep going down this road? And she and I didn't talk for like several years, but then I got to talk to her years later and she had actually come to Christ. And oh, that was awesome. so cool to see the fruit of that. Like I planted the seed by saying it at first, I didn't get to see the process by which God worked in her life, but he allowed me the opportunity to see her in relationship with him. And that was just like the most beautiful part about it all. So just want to say that like loving, loving people, is going to be joyful, but it's also going to be painful. It's going to be kind of a roller coaster and that you don't have to be tied to the idea that you cannot say anything at all. That kind of leads us perfectly into our sixth lie of sexual liberalism, which is loving myself is a top priority. The mindset of self-love is a positive thing and should be promoted because we often hear so often, like you can't love someone else till you love yourself. Um, so it kind of just made me think of this for sure. But, um, I also do just want to say, just putting this out there before we really dive into this one, but we're not saying that you should hate yourself. <laughs> okay. Right. Like we're not yes. going to say that. I'm not saying you like, yeah, you all, you know, you don't want to love yourself. So you better hate yourself. Like, absolutely not. Culture has so blatantly promoted, um, this to the point where loving yourself should come above everything else, um, where you're just so constantly internally focused, you know, you're just focused on loving yourself and your goal is self-love self-care. Um, when truly that again, just takes our eyes off of Christ, off of God and what he has for us. And it just leads us into like, it just kind of is a big circle, to be honest, if you think of it that way, it just kind of makes me think of one big cycle. You know, you love yourself, 
um, and that's your goal. And then that leads you into selfishness. And then that leads you into doing whatever you want and justifying it. And then that leads you into (laughs) trying to do that with other people where you also say, well, you should love yourself. So you should do whatever you want too. Um, And then you support anyone else's decisions, even if they're going down a bad path. So it just kind of wraps up into this one big, just very harmful cycle. Um, And that really does begin and end with self-love, with just focusing inward completely and not focusing on anyone else, not focusing on God. Because you might think that you're doing this um, and that ultimately this will make you a better person. Um, But truly, at the end of the day, it just makes you more selfish, which might sound harsh. That might sound hateful, but it's really not like it's not coming from a place of hate. I promise you at the end of the day, if you're inwardly focused constantly, though, the only thing that is going to bloom from that is selfishness. And again, it will also lead to discontentment because truly we'll never reach the standards of society. And we might think that self-love is something that should be separate from culture and separate from society. Like, well, I don't live up to that. And so I'm trying to just love myself the way that I am. Um, But ultimately the reason that we have to take our eyes off of culture and society to try and even do that is because we're already selfishly focused. We're already inwardly focused. So it's kind of just a coping mechanism for, well, I'm not going to live up to the standards of society. Um, But at the end of the day, um, scripture says that true beauty comes from a gentle and quiet spirit. First Peter 3, 3 through 4 says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inward self, of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Um, We talked in our second episode about the names of God. And one of the names that we call God is our sanctifier. Um, So God is truly the one who does this work within us to sanctify us and to bring about this gentle and quiet spirit, which is the character that um, he has for us. I like you mentioned the sanctification God does within us because it it contrasts really strongly with this self-love idea, right? Because I talked about a little bit earlier that God gives you a new heart. He gives you new desires. He he gives you a completely new mindset on the world. And I think it, it comes back to this fact that you said that, you know, loving ourselves being our top priority is selfish, but it's also so self-defeating too. It's such a yeah. fruitless pursuit, at least in the people that I, in the lives that I've known and the pursuits that I have like followed in my life to try to love myself in the past. It's, I don't know about you, but like trying to love yourself is such a chore. <laughs> it's, it's, you kind of have to either be see the parts in your life that you're dissatisfied with and like change yourself and do so many things to change yourself. You know, we go through these hoops of like, I mean, dieting and exercise, like Mm -hmm. that's just one example. There could be plenty of other things that you try to do to better yourself. So that's, that's one side. Right. And then the other side is like to just kind of give up and be like, well, I should just accept myself flaws and all let myself be like live in these toxic traits and continue to act a certain way because I should just love myself. And it's like such right. a chore. It's so different from the way that God loves us and the way that he transforms us to love him first, because that brings us true joy, true contentment comes from that because you're not, again, you're not so busy trying to either change yourself so that you'll love yourself or just like convince yourself that everything is fine and you're great. And that everyone else is great. And as we talk about this too, we wanted 
make a distinction to the difference between like self-love and self-care. Like there are things that you can do to take care of your body and to pursue wellness and a holy mindset with taking care of your body. Because we know from the Bible that God gifted us our bodies. He wants us to treat them well. He doesn't want us to abuse them or to hurt them or to neglect them. Right. Mm -hmm. So with self-care, like you can enjoy the beautiful things and the inventions of others. Like for, for a lot of us girls, it's, face masks, getting your nails done, that kind of stuff, that it's completely fine to pursue those things, those things that are caring about yourself or making yourself feel good without trying to cave to this idea that you're the most important thing. Like we want to make that distinction because I think that sexual liberalism will try to tell you it's all or nothing. Like you have to Mm -hmm. support all these things or none of them, but you can take the good parts and the helpful parts like self-care and taking care of your body or whatever it may be, taking care of your mind, all those things, you don't have to throw all that out. And really kind of as we wrap up here, we, we kind of wanted to, again, return to the fact that it is it can be nerve wracking to defend our biblical values. Like we don't want to gloss over that fact. It, it's hard sometimes to talk about these things because we know that it impacts people, it impacts their lives, and we have to be really careful. And it can be really scary to like swim against the cultural current as Christians because people people will reject us. They'll call us names. They're going to write us off as hateful, even though that's like the last thing we want to present ourselves as because we don't want to hurt people or offend them, especially those who are closest to us who are, are doing things that we know are wrong and in, in God's eyes. Um, but the truth is that we don't have to f- fear sexual liberalism or or any other forms of moral relativism, because any relativism or postmodern nonsense like sexual liberalism is just an empty shell. Like we've explained, it's Um, Mm self-defeating. And Neil Cole writes in his uh, book, Church 3.0, he says, most of us feel threatened by the doctrine of relativism, but we should not be afraid of it. Most people find it a convenient belief but not a practical one. The despair it brings creates a ripe climate for the good news of the kingdom of God. Hmm. And when this ripe climate presents itself in the relationships in your life, then it's your job there. You can step in like to communicate your beliefs in love. And if you need an example or you haven't seen what that looks like, that's God 100% who is 100% truth, 100% love, never compromises one for the other because all you have to do is look at the biblical narrative of the fact that He is love. And that's why he sent his son. John 3, 16 tells us like for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Likewise, not on the other hand, but completely likewise at the exact same time, he's truthful and just, and he cannot tolerate wickedness. Uh, Romans 12, 19 tells us that um, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine and I will repay says the Lord. So God is going to repay an evil but he's still 100% truth and still 100% love at the exact same time. So if you need an example of someone to follow, um, of communicating truth and love in the relationships in your life, then it's God. Yeah. And going off of that, um, just to kind of reiterate again, we're called to both truth and love without compromising one for the other, um, which is you know impossible to do perfectly as humans because we can't be like God where we're 100% both at the same time. Um, but we can definitely try our best to do that. Um, Ephesians 4.15 says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Um, so it doesn't do any good uh, for anyone to stand up on our pedestals, just waving our fingers um, and judging others without loving them, um, without knowing them deeply, without being willing to come alongside them and walk 
through um, hardships and struggles and sin with them, but it also benefits nobody to simply accept and support every evil choice of others um, because it leads to their ultimate destruction, as we talked about before. Um, so we did just want to say, if you find yourself doing any of these things, um, that we've talked about on this episode, or you find yourself putting any of these things above the Lord, um, we really would encourage you to repent and return back to him. Um, just take some time to, um, just really sit down and talk with him, um, just pray and, uh, ask for his forgiveness, um, ask him to show you how to move forward, um, how to better, uh, seek him and glorify him. Um, he has so much in store for you so much. That's better than what you've been pursuing. If you've been pursuing any of the things that we've talked about, um, and we've, we can confidently say this, uh, because God promised it himself in his word. Um, we can also confidently say this because we've seen it in our own lives. Um, we've seen him redeem us from the things that, um, you know, we used to desire from the things that we used to do. Um, and again, not that, uh, Sin is still not a uh, temptation for believers, but just the fact that um, we now have God as our helper, as our sanctifier to, um, you know, aid us in that, to be with us as we struggle. Um, the Christian life was never promised to be easy. Um, in fact, it was actually promised that it would be full of suffering. Um, but at the end of the day, we know that uh, we will be with him for all of eternity. And that is the biggest comfort um, that we could ever have. It's the biggest uh, reward that we could ever have as well. Exactly. Completely agree with you. So that is what we have time for today. We just encourage you to hold fast to the outline that God gave us about sex. And if you're not familiar with it, we would love for you to join us next week because we're going to take a trek through the Bible together to discover God's good design. So we're going to return to the Garden of Eden as we did briefly today, but we're also going to walk through Song of Solomon and even learn about the bride and the bridegroom in Revelation. So we would just love for you to join us and we hope you will come along with us next week. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Cedar and Cypress Pod, where you can be alerted of all our new episodes that come out each Sunday. And we just thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next time.